past few weeks, I've been reading and studying and reflecting on First and Second Samuel um, quite a lot. But I, it's at the same time, I've been moved by what God has placed on my heart, especially through this series. Um, so do pray uh, for this series and for our church congregation uh, to be receptive. And let me start with uh, this obvious question. Why study David? And uh, some of you guys heard this uh, thing before about the David becoming, uh, David being very important figure in the uh, in the entire Bible. Yes, it is true. Along with Moses, along with Joseph, along with Daniel. And in the New Testament, biblical characters like Peter and Paul and John and James. But there's a distinctiveness about David. And David was a type of, of Christ. What does that mean? It's a prophetic sim- symbol or symbolic figure of Christ. Christ will come, the Messiah will come like King David, that his character and his reign will be like David's. And the covenant that God has given to Abraham and Jacob and then down to David is actually pointing to Christ. And God promised a king that reign that will reign forever referring to uh, his offspring the your house will reign forever obviously david died physically but what is he referring to is the coming messiah in the new testament messiah is often referred as son of david when jesus was passing by the Blind men shouting out, Jesus, son of David. Everybody knew that he's referring to the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Secondly, it is because David's life has so much to offer for us to learn. Genesis chapter 5. There's an incredible person by the name of Enoch. Along with um, the many characters, he's known as a godly man. But there is only one sentence about him. He didn't experience death and he was lifted because he's walked with closely with God. Oh, that's great. But what can we learn from him? What can you learn about him? But as for David, so much. Other than Jesus, the scripture has been written about David. And some of you might say, how about Pentateuch, the five first books of Old Testament, Moses. Yes, Moses was much written about Moses as well, but the story was much more about the nation of Israelites and patriarchs rather than Moses himself. About New Testament, at least 13 books were written by Apostle Paul. And the good thing about Apostle Paul is actually letters. Those are the, many of them are letters, personal letters, and to the churches, to, to his friends, So he reveals much of his heart. So we feel like we know Apostle Paul quite well. But once again, turning to David, there's no one like David that we could get to know. Because we get to see his journals. He he wrote most of Psalms, 
the Psalter's uh, Charles Spurgeon calls the treasury of David because his songs and prayers and journal entries are there. And he reveals his heart. Thirdly, because of this, David's heart is also available transparently and that what it is for us is that we get to see multidimensional David. David not only godly and intimate and longing for God as better than living, better than life in his life, but at the same time, David who committed adultery and to cover secondary murder and that David opens his heart, not only at the peak of his spiritual walk, but at the darkest moments of his life. We can never say, oh, like Enoch, oh, I'm not there. Because we've been through those lonelinesses and dark moments, and the people, when people misunderstood us or betrayed us, and then we get to see the whole spectrum of his outer life as well as the inner life. I should say inner life as well as outer life. But first and foremost of all this, it is because David was considered a man after God's own heart by the Lord himself. If you are a true follower of Christ, and if you have the seed of God in you, this is our desire. Every Christian longs to be a man and woman after God's own heart. God is delighted. God says, you are like me. And your heart reflects my heart. So this is my earnest enthusiasm for our church. Especially this day, day and age, there's all kinds of false spiritualities. And starting with a very emotionalism about singing music is good, but and yet really without the person of God, the tri triune God, the intimacy is not there. On the other hand, there's a headiness of learning theology and learning Bible contents, but what does it look like when you be intimate with God? For some, this is foreign. But David has the key. So I invite you, brothers and sisters, to with great anticipation and perseverance, we'll be here next 11 months. <laughs> um, not just about David, but other missions month and there's different things. And Wade will be speaking regularly as well. But one, one last thing. We get to see, because David's intimacy and David's going after God and pursuing God, we get to see how God responds, how God's heart is like. So in light of this, we have a twofold aim in this. First one is to learn from David's life and heart about how we too can become a man or a woman after God's own heart. There's no brainer. There's so many lessons and then surrounding uh, characters offer so much sin to avoid and mistakes as well as the example to follow as well. But would you pay attention throughout this series on our second aim? which is to know God and his ways. 
the actually the real character of entire Bible is not David, is not Moses, is not Peter, or is not Paul, but God, triune God Himself. So we get to know God and His ways. And especially when you think about how God works. And this is why the introductory message of the series. God reveals his heart and his way, his <coughs> mannerism, when he's working with, with people like David. How he is molding David into godly men of God. The king that who, who will carry on sovereign purpose and plan. And by the way, on a side note, this is the purpose of our quiet time. The learning to listen to God through scripture. Two questions always is what is God like and what lesson is God teaching me? But oftentimes, the reason why I'm emphasizing second second thing is oftentimes we're just looking for lessons. We get to know God in a fuller way. And then as we experience and apply and obey and pray and meditate, what happens is God becomes real. That's why I didn't write, write down know about God, about His ways. We can know God personally and experience His ways in our own lives, in our application. So today is uh, more of a contextual message about how God has begun His calling, His choice on David. Remember, David wasn't always king and this at this moment, he's, as we begin, he's a merely teenager, 15, maybe 16, or 17. So it's important, as we think about why God has chosen him and called him, you are a man after my own heart. It's inevitable for us to bring the stories that leads up to that, which is King Saul, the first king of Israel. A little bit of a background of this story is that King Saul was a shy man, humble man. When uh, Samuel was looking for him, he hid himself. He really thought he was little in his own eyes. But after kingship, his heart changed. And this is the moment that has actually a crossing over to where he gets rejected by God. As he rejects himself. Himself Rejecting God. We need to know this. People of Israel was chosen by God. Right? In Old Testament. So going back to the Egypt. And Moses was chosen to, to, to lead the Israelites through the wilderness. And when they came to the promised land, Canaan. They didn't have a governance issues or systems like other nations. They had judges like Gideon, like Samson. Judges were not king. Judges were the out of crisis. God called them to resolve the crisis. And Gideon himself said, I will not be king out of humility, but also he said, my children, my offspring, will not become king either. Why? Because we have only, and one and only king, 
our Lord, Yahweh, God, is our king. Our nation is different. But in spite of all this, God had a plan to give them a king. But in a very radically different way, culturally, countercultural way. In how? Because other kings, of, they could do whatever they want. All absolute power oftentimes leads to absolute corruption. But Israel's king was a servant that God actually is ruling as one king, but servant as a represent the king as an eternal king. The idea of a kingdom of God came out of that. They're still waiting for the kingdom of God, kingdom of Israel is to be restored. But what happened during the judges' time? Joshua's gone, and, and the great leaders of the, not only Moses, but Joshua's gone, Caleb's gone. And then suddenly, they became weaker and weaker because they have a weak system. They don't have central control of the governments. So surrounding nations, especially Amalekites and Philistines, there were strong armies and attacked them. And what happened was they were getting seriously defeated and, and then God will send a, a judge once again. So they're shouting now. Give us king whom we can see. To Samuel, and Samuel, Samuel was up to here, God allowed, per, permitted. And then King Saul was a head, one head taller than everybody else. So he was standing out, his physique, and he looks like a leader. I'm picturing this tall, quarterback-looking guy, kind of guy. GQ magazine. But he was humble himself. Notice how he changes here. He experienced some victory under his belt. And now there are two incidents that led to God's rejection of Saul. The incident number one is a self-rationalization and disobedience that led to the unlawful sacrifice before the battle against the Philistines. As Steve just read, um, we're not going to focus on too many passages here because one, one big challenge for any preacher for speaking, uh, preaching through the First uh, Samuel and Second Samuel, as a matter of fact, Old, Old Testament, the passages are so long. So even this morning, um, I am going to provide some context and then start with verse 8. 1 Samuel verse, chapter 13, verse 8. He waited seven days. King Saul waited seven days. The time appointed by Samuel. What's he waiting for here? He's waiting for Samuel, who is a, not only judge, but in between traditional times, that he was playing the role of a high priest as well. Why is he waiting for Samuel? Because Philistines were mustering up, and they were strong, and their weapons were more developed, advanced. And then King Saul was worried. We don't have a chance unless God has a favor on us. And he experienced victories those supernatural victories before. So how do I get this favor of the Lord on us before this battle happens? We need to do a burnt offering. Burnt offering is basically pleasing to God. Come with us as we go into the battle. But as you all know, only the priests, high priests, can offer the burnt offering 
performed the sacrifices in the Old Testament. So he's waiting. Seven days passed, and his people, Israelites, were a little insecure, and they're getting scattered. Why? Because back in the days, we're not talking about the vocational soldiers who's always ready to fight. When the battle happens, the regular people will come out, in, sometimes in their plain clothes, and with their tools from their, their farming tools to fight that way. There are only very few people who are trained and well-trained and equipped to military operation. So regular people come together and they're concerned because Philistines are very powerful and they don't have much and they're weaker. And then Samuel's not coming. Say favor of the Lord will not be on them. Oh no, what's going to happen? But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Verse 8 again. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and peace offerings. He offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against, the, against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord, your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. There are few points that we need to remember on this. Saul is getting confused in his heart. His true motive is hidden, not only to Samuel, but to himself as well. How did that happen? Remember this point. Self-rationalizing can happen for anything. Anything that we, we do religiously, we could say, oh, I'm doing this for the Lord. Or God will be pleased with this. When that self-rationalization happens, we are deceiving ourselves, leading to disobedience. And there is a kind of ironical disobedience that happens to please God, and should I say, appease God. What was he doing? King Saul came up with this idea, we desperately need the favor of the Lord. Since Samuel is not here, I feel forced to offer the burnt offering so that Israelites can have God's favor. For this battle. So notice this. His idea of God. Is that God is useful. God is a means to an end. We need to win the battle. We need God to help us. Unless we are spiritually awake and be truthful in our inner motives, hidden motives, we don't see that. This is called idolatry. And this is called prosperity gospel, actually. 
God can make things happen for me, so I need to appease God so that he could bless what I am doing. Whether it be your health or my, my business or my family, my kids going to good schools, winning the battle. On top of it, Saul thought that as a leader, he's responsible for the victory. And yet, there's a self-motive in, mixed in that also too. So isn't it, isn't it oxymoron for us to realize that he is disobeying, disobeying God in order to please and worship God? When you self-rationalize, you deceive yourself to be able to do this without blinking an eye. Even the person next to you, brother or sister or your wife or your husband will say, what are you doing? Well, I'm not perfect, but I'm Christian. I'm trying to live my life. May the Holy Spirit reveal the things in our hearts to be truthful to, to God and to ourselves and to be honest with ourselves. It doesn't take an evil person to do this. There's a second incident. Self-rationalization and disobedience is a cause, root cause for this as well. But the, in, the incident is the unlawful gain from the delivering God's judgment on Amalekites. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10 through 31, actually the entire chapter. Uh, I need to give a context on this one also too. Amalekites are one nation that had God's wrath and uh, God had so much of his holy wrath on them. Here's why. When they were coming out of the Egypt in the, through the wilderness, and they were not even fully organized nation. They didn't have soldiers. But Amalekites came behind the Israelites and attacked them. And if you remember, Moses had to pray with his two arms raising. And if he's too tired and putting down, the battles are losing. So his he's, he's, uh, young men were lifting his arms to finish the, race, finish the battle with God's favor. But God remembered that with wrath. So in our modern readers, whenever we read uh, stories like this in Old Testament, it's a shockingly violent. There are two, two ways to respond to this. One way is that, that we become center of the universe and start criticizing what God is doing. Typically, that's our postmodern generation doing. I can't believe God ordered Israelites to wipe them out. What is a wipe them out meaning? Complete destruction. Male, female, children, their goats and their sheep and their every living thing. And take nothing out of that. And this was more than a battle. This was God's judgment on them. And Israelites were to deliver that. And the, the funny thing about this, uh, not funny and funny, but it's kind of strangely, twistily amusing thing is this. Back in the days, the ancient days, those are the reasons why people go into the battle. To get the spoils, to get slaves, and to get their sheep and oxen and their other jewelry, all other good things, and make them your slaves. 
That's the motivation, primary motivation going into the battle. The Lord says to Samuel to tell uh, Saul, don't do that. This is an act of my judgment on them. Wipe them out. Take nothing out of there. So obviously, if you're not truthful, and even if you have a selective hearing from the Lord, you interpret interpret your own stuff in that we could self-rationalize and disobey just like King Saul here. Verse 17. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord appointed, anointed you king over Israel. My parenthetical remark. What happened to you? You used to be so humble. You changed. What in the world is going on here? Okay, that's not God's word, so... Verse 18, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why? Because as Samuel is walking in, here are the goats. What is this sound? Verse 19 again. Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He means it. In his own interpretation, he self-rationalized thinking that he he really did obey I have gone on a mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agak, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Hmm, I wonder why he spared Agak. Think about it. I'll get back to that. Verse 21. But the people took the spoil and sheep and oxen, the best of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Oh, the people. Not that I want to take the, keep the best ones. Save the best ones. The people wanted. But the reason was for the Sacrifice to worship to the Lord for God. Verse 22, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in the burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, the to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. And some of you remember that phrase, right? Famous phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice. It came out of here. And Samuel is going one step further saying that what you're doing is sin of divination and presumption is iniquity and idolatry. You're not worshiping God. You're doing idolatry right now. And finally, Saul at least half woke up. (laughs) 
to the truth. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I fear the people and obey their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And listen to what Saul says now. So I said half-hearted, right? So he's the, the other half comes out. And as, verse 27, as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore, and Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to the neighbor of yours. He calls next king, namely, he doesn't know that yet. Samuel doesn't know that yet. King David, David, a neighbor of yours, who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel, mentioning to the Yahweh, the Lord, will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. He did say, I am sorry. I have sinned. But what's his primary concern right now? Honor me before my elders. Do not shame me. Self-rationalization can deceive us that we are repentant. And we do that all the time in our even fights with our, our spouses, right? I'm sorry. You don't have anything back, and you wanted to get, I'm sorry, too. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then your wife or husband will say, what are you sorry about? I don't know. Whatever you feel offended by, I'm sorry. Anyway, that's self-rationalization. And we could do that with God as well. Notice how similar the pattern is in, the, in this instant as well. Saul's rationalization was the, only the best was saved for sacrifice, which means it is for God. He really believed it. Despite God's command, specific command for complete, complete destruction, Saul rationalized. He thought that he's showing mercy to Agag. Maybe another commentator is right in saying that respect for royal person because he as a king, if he get caught, he wants to be treated with mercy and respect. Agag think that I survived through it. Samuel, out of fear of the Lord, and then holy indignation calls the, calls the people to bring Agag, and he slashed them in front of him. With his delightful voice coming out, and he didn't even know what was coming. Samuel, instead of Saul, delivered God's judgment on him. And once again, this is a difficult passage for us. But one, one thing that we need to remember is if God is really sovereign and he has spoken his word and he has a better wisdom than anybody on earth, we must not be in the center of, earth, of the universe dissecting this. It's better to receive it and think about what could this mean? But when you read more of Amalekites, 
And this is a apologetics people actually do. The Canaanites around that, it's a horrendous things were happening. Children sacrificing, boiling their babies, and uh, killing the pregnant woman so that they cannot have the next offerings, offsprings anymore. God is bringing the judgment to wipe them out. And then we think that, oh, that's more than eight read are. We, uh, you know, God is cruel. And coming back to this story, I think what we, what's very important is to realize this whole thing revealed Saul's heart. God was a, a mere means to an end. A two incident is about worship. He thought that he's worshiping and pleasing God, but in reality, ironically, he disobeyed God. And let's not think that Saul's very unique, that we can never do that. We do that all the time. And I do that in, in my relationship with you know, my wife as well. So I, I fervently express my love. And then I was trying to comfort my wife a few days ago. And I said, come here, babe. Let me hold you. Because I, I feel comforted when I'm, you know, when I'm really sad and somebody give me a hug and hold my hand. My love language is much of touch, right? And then my wife just quietly said, no, that doesn't comfort me at all. So I'm stuck. I'm rationalizing. Woman inside, I didn't say out loud. Woman, don't you know I love you? What's wrong with you? You need to be loved by me. Can we do that with God too? Of course. God, I'm all doing this. Did not give offerings and tithing. Did not serve at the food bank. Did I, did I do this and X, Y, and Z? Don't you see my heart? Until we become aware of God is not a sovereign to us. God is very useful. He must be useful. And that's why I'm worshiping and that's why I'm obeying. In a consumer-oriented society, we're so used to it. We like Apple and we like iPhone. We like all those things because it meets my needs. I worship and adore. I don't worship it. You know, you become faithful customer of that. So we're used to it. So the question that I'm asking here in closing, so we're going to find out the David's side, God's choice on David's side uh, next week. So the question that I like to linger a little bit is what's God's choice on David, unconditional or conditional? And if, if you sat through my teaching or sermon, you've heard over and over, God's election of believers is absolutely free and unconditional. We cannot add a thing to his choice on us. It's not because we're pretty. It's not because we acted better. But God's sovereign mercy, he chose us. So we get confused. We need to know there are two types of God's choice. Number one is God's choice for salvation. It is absolutely unconditional, free, sovereign will of God. There is nothing we can do to it. But in this case, choice as a king of Israel, when it comes to office or task or role, it is a conditional choice on the heart of heart qualities of each person, should I say each believer, because it's, salvation is not the issue, but also by God's grace. 
There is a terms, theological terms. It's a fancy term. It's very simple. Monergism. Mono, one. Jism is energy or work. The work of one. It is for salvation. Monergism. Yes. God and God alone does work of the salvation for us. By grace and grace alone. Through faith and faith alone. In Christ and Christ alone. But when it comes to, he calls us for task and office. It's a synergism. Sin together. The Greek word soon came out of there. Together energy. Works together our qualities and our obedience and God's grace happens. Why is God's grace also too? Because when next week we get to hear God's choice on David and he gets anointed by Samuel when he was about 15, 16, 17 once again. When When does he become finally king? 30. 10 plus years God's grace is on him. God's grace doesn't take him to palace. God's grace can take him back to sheep. And God's grace for 10 years he's chased after King Saul who's just willing to kill him like crazy Hamlet coming after you. For 10 years escaping, he is molded by the Holy Spirit within him. So it is our work, and it is our sanctification as well. Synergism happens when we continually obey, surrender our heart, God's grace applies into that, that we become a man and woman of God. So let me summarize it this way. God's choice of David as king involves God's heart quali- David's heart qualities as a man after God's own heart. And we get to find out what that is a little bit. And God's grace in molding David who was being trained to serve the Lord for God's sovereign purpose and plan. What are those qualities that God saw? God's, David's responsibility as a shepherd Instead of running away, just this teenage David tells a story that he fought against lions and bears. Who runs away? Hiring. Someone who doesn't love the sheep. But even as a teenager, he has shown the responsibility in little things. David's fear of the Lord. The reason why in two weeks, in two, two messages ahead, the, the most famous story, children and adults, the Goliath story comes out. The reason why he stepped out to fight that was fear of the Lord. His anger and love for the Lord is this uncircumcised man is cursing at Our Lord, Yahweh. I cannot stand that. In our our terminology, you know what it looks like? Even the people who are going at it with each other, the the rap singers and dissing at each other. And if you are dissing his mom and his, 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 his dad, you're crossing the line, right? So fist fight can come. How dare you you could say bad things about me, but how dare you disrespect my mom? But when it comes to our Heavenly Father, how do we feel about this? King David, oh, he's not the king yet. Little David, in spite of his limitation, holy anger. Why? Because he truly loved God with his all his heart. And when he failed, 
Think about how his tender, loving, tender brokenness before the Lord. As a king, when he's pointed out, you are the sinner by Nathan the prophet. Without defensiveness, they will come out. I have sinned. So let's uh, look at New Testament background a little bit. When you think about the synergism, in Acts chapter three, verse uh, chapter six, verse three, this is when all the church exper- experienced some, some all kinds of uh, growth, but in their problem with the Greek widows were neglected. The Hebrew widows were probably well-treated because it's Jerusalem. Greek, Hellenist meaning that they're not Greek, but they're Hellenized people people who speak uh, Greek. So they, apostles said, you pick leaders so that we could pay attention to word and prayer. That's the verse. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good organization and uh, leadership skill and uh, organizing who, who have experience in two years, at least of two years of management skill. No. Seven men of good repute and full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this study, to the, to the duty. So we need to be mindful about that condition is very important. Do you remember when we started our church, church plan, because of this uh, emotional baggages, we didn't even want to call our leadership team members elders. The qualifications are known for everybody, the leadership team, board member. People are highly busy skills and big picture people. But they're careless about spiritual babies or question about their spiritual walk. What's going on? In our church, in our obedience to this, basically said, we're looking for humble people who will be respected without any titles by their peers about their spiritual walk. And I, I am thankful for our God's selection and choice on, on our, our elders. Because there was a one time that one of the members said, there are three men I respect the most than anyone else. All those three are our elders. Because I trust you guys. Paul's case in 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. He's saying it's all grace, right? But notice the synergism here. On the contrary, I work harder than anyone, anyone, any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. I work, work harder than any other apostles, but it was grace of God. I need to close. Um, we'll get to this passage next Sunday. There are two applications and reminders that I'm going to give because I'm running out of time. Number one, we are to stop all self-rationalizations and obey the Lord, not as useful God, but as sovereign God. Remember that you could rationalize almost everything. Your religious activity can make you blindsided in such a way that when you are disobeying even the little things that you could almost don't see that. The ironical things. Active obedience is key to curing this. Don't think about it. Actively obey. Number two, we are to cultivate our hearts to be tender and responsive to God in small things 
as God molds us into a man and woman of God. I think synergism, synergism as you cultivate your heart uh, to be molded by God's grace and begin where you are. Are you a mom who's giving care for your baby and toddler? Be faithful in those small things. Know that God is watching your heart even if nobody sees it. Know that your, your pain and suffering and hardship is actually God's program of training you to become a woman and man of God. And some of you men, you don't like your job. Maybe that's the way, place that God is cultivating this heart. I will share more next week. I still remember when I was a warehouse manager of this import-export business. Full-time job on top of my youth ministry because I need to provide for myself and my family. This was my, when I was single. Uh, there was a moment that I was thinking, what in the world am I doing here with shorts and belts on and I'm sweating? Basically, it's a fancy title, warehouse manager. I got to finish the unloading and finish the unloading. I'm doing this. And scratching my head is, I should be preaching. I should be doing wonderful things of God. In hindsight, that was the best training. Most intimate moments that happened there. During lunchtime, I would skip lunch to spend time with God in this closet, very cold closet with Bible open and longing and, and just devouring God provided. Such a joy. The living water. Oh, I would exchange anything. I have a fancy office now. But that special moment of connecting with God is so precious. So never under, underestimate your small things in, in it. The very minimal things that you're doing right now. I close with this. Alan Redpath, who wrote uh, the book, this was a Chicago pastor, uh, Moody Bible Church pastor, who wrote a book on David, and he entitled Making of a Man of God. I love that. I, I'm actually going through that at the same time. He writes this, The Lord is still looking, as he did in David's time, for a man after his own heart, I believe it to be the priority responsibility of any ministry so to proclaim God's word that such a quality of Christian man and woman by the grace of God and power of the Spirit may be the result. Not only is it such a life alone which can stand the fiery trials that are bound increasing increasingly to attack our Christian faith and principles, but also through the life of the spirit of a spirit-filled man of God and woman of God is the fastest and most effective method of evangelism. And I, I want to urge you to think about what God has spoken to you and have a sense of urgency to respond to God. The Lord is looking for people who are bent toward him. It doesn't matter what kind of brokenness you have and you bring with. We'll talk about the next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you moved my heart in such a way that I feel compelled to obey and stop the self-rationalization in my own life. And I do pray our church will be filled with the people who are on active obedience, abandoning self-rationalization, and self-deception.
Lord, in this season, Advent season, would you keep us vigilant so that we may not rationalize our busyness, our loss of joy, our materialism. Teach us to find unhurried joy in you. And we pray that you will continue to work with us and in us through this series. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.